Hello, and welcome to the Humumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. The podcast where we watch 31 horror movies throughout the hallowed month of October. Ranging from the critically acclaimed to film school projects gone gruesomely awry. And we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Sully Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously while we take these movies seriously. Today we're going to talk about It Chapter 2. We covered It Chapter 1, which was just called It In 2017. Um, In 2017. In fact, if you want to go back and see our review of that, it's the very first 2017 review on your website, right? Hamumu.com. Click on the Halloween button. Check it out. Yeah. So this was chapter two. Essentially, the adult story, you know, the 27 years later, they didn't kill it the first time. Now they're adults and they have to come back and address the situation again. So it has been said that this is just one movie. And hey, fun IMDb fact, at around five hours long, combined, the two parts of the movie, Mm -hmm. it's actually like two hours longer than the miniseries from the 90s. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) It's very strange because when I was watching this particular chapter two, I had this feeling of like, this movie is asking too much of me. Like it's, it's too big to be a movie there's all this backstory and mythology and i feel like it wants me to care more than i can care about a single movie i mean it's really two movies but whatever even more so than the first movie though because the first movie was at least the story of these kids yeah it was encapsulated well it felt like but this one not so much this one's a big universe and it has it, it includes their, you know, as adults, they're going back. It includes flashbacks from when they were kids that we didn't get in the first movie. Yeah, it includes the mythology, like you were saying. Like, yeah, I hadn't put it in those terms in my head, but I think you're right. This movie was asking a lot. Yeah, to me, it felt like it should have been a TV series, but it's funny that it was actually longer than the TV series. Yeah. Well, you know, I do think that that is a problem with trying to turn Stephen King's books, <laughs> particularly his longer books. I mean, and that's relative because his books all tend to be fairly long. Yeah. But it is one of the longer ones. Like it is a hefty book. And, you know, when you try to turn something that is that big into a visual medium, it gets tricky because the reason his books are so long is he goes into so much of the internal workings of each of his characters. And and you have to work hard to do that in a visual medium. Yes. And maybe there wasn't a lot of that in this movie as much as there should have been. Some of the characters, I will say, fell flat. Yeah, so right after the movie, we talked about this a little bit. So let's let's run through the characters and see if we agree which characters were done well and which characters were, like you said, flat. So going through, we have Bill, who Bill Dembro, who is essentially the main character of the book, right? Main yeah. character of the movie. The loss of his little brother kind of starts off the whole story. So how do you think Bill was done in this in in chapter two? That was pretty good, but I do want to point out the idea that was harped on like over and over that he doesn't know how to write endings. 
<laughs> which I'm 90% sure was not in the book, but clearly no, is a reference not. to the book, which is really funny. It was it was kind of meta. And as someone who has always <laughs> critiqued Stephen King's endings, I have to say I was on board with that. That was very funny. And Stephen King himself complained about the endings of <laughs> Bill's books, which is funny. Yeah, I liked that. Yeah, I also felt like the Bill character was done well, both as the adult and the child. I think mm-hmm. I think they did a good job of showing that dilemma that he struggled with, that being a big brother. I think they actually addressed it in a way in the movie that I don't remember it being addressed in the book, where it specifically talked about how just because you didn't want to play with your little brother on one rainy yeah. day that happened to end badly didn't make you a bad brother. Yeah, that was his story was about forgiving himself mm-hmm. for one bad thing he did that finally realizing it's not even really a bad thing. It's whatever. Right. It's just one day of your life. It just happened to be his last day. Right, so which is the only bad. reason, right, the only reason it it was a memorable day at all. It, like, I'm sure there were other times when he didn't want to play with his little brother yeah. that did not become ingrained, deeply ingrained in his brain because his little brother didn't die on those other days. I did like that whole aspect. Uh-huh. There was a moment when he was learning that where I went, oh, this is sort of like they're all in therapy, only it's, you know, in a really traumatic, <laughs> like, <laughs> a yeah. demon is is giving them therapy kind of way. Everybody likes clown therapy. Right? But, but they did. Several of them did have those moments of realizing, oh, this trauma that I carried forward into my adult life, I didn't necessarily need to carry forward. Or they, you know, figured out ways of letting it go or changing their patterns. I thought the build character was also well acted. I, I just thought... Yeah. All around it was pretty good. How about the love interest and only girl in the essentially the whole movie, Beverly? Yeah. I liked her as a kid. Eh, As an adult, she was fine. Whatever. She was better than some. Yeah. I did. I thought the kid version of her was very well done. I think the adult version of Beverly brought in an issue that I had with several things. Like it's, it's an example of an issue that I had in several instances. This book was written in the late (laughs) eighties. And as far as social consciousness and social awareness goes, I think it was fairly forward thinking for the eighties. Like, like I, I do believe that Stephen King was a more forward thinker in the eighties in terms of women's rights and gay rights and, you know, civil rights and all of those things. Like, like he is a fairly progressive-minded individual. And that showed in this book in the time that it was written. Yeah. When you bring what he said in the 80s forward to, what, almost 40 years, essentially. Yeah. And and they, they took this story and placed it in 19, uh, 2017 rather than what would have been the 80s in the book it loses something in translation because what was very forward thinking and progressive in the 80s is now very middle ground almost edging on conservative and I it can didn't see that. it didn't read well like and and the reason i bring this up with beverly is the scene where she's leaving and her husband is abusing her mm-hmm. it doesn't read well in this modern times like like it doesn't read as a story that's, I don't know how to say it, that's like progressive enough, giving the woman enough individualism and, and power and all of that. Like it it just, it, it felt weak. And that was one of the scenes that was almost identical to how it's written in the book. Yeah. 
And the other example of that was um, what's the scene that started out chapter two, where um, the two gay men are at the uh, dairy festival and they get attacked and beaten up like it that fit very well in the 80s yeah and it i mean factually these are things that are still happening today yes but the way it was handled and the the way it was written doesn't feel as progressive as it would have 40 years ago yes it's weird because i see what you're saying but it felt right to me because of dairy because of it like it was you know it was more of that people being seeded with badness inside and you know turning their backs on others and being hateful like it it fit right in with the floating red balloons everywhere but i mean i see as it i can't even speak yeah i i can't even speak to exactly what i would want to see that's different now but there's something about maybe it's the way the gay characters were written that doesn't feel right. Like they don't feel whole enough. Yeah. And I expect more of my fiction. one, One scene. Yeah. Right. And I expect more of my fiction now than I would have in the eighties because of what is out there in fiction now. And then there is another gay character who is well done. Yes. He was not in the book. I mean, he was in the book. He wasn't gay in the book. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, like that's an ex- that's a perfect example of how like the the scene at the carnival was almost like it felt word for word almost exactly out of the book, yeah. and it felt stilted and a little off. And the whole idea of Richie being gay and struggling with that, and that really being a part of what made him who he was all you know through his whole life, felt much more authentic and well written. And suitable to 2017. Yep. Well, 2019. (laughs) Which, so our discussion of the characters, Richie was the best one, I think. (laughs) I do. I think so, too. I thought he was very well portrayed. I loved Bill Hader playing him. Like, he, that was very much how I pictured Richie in the book. Yeah, I think that was really good. That was the best part of the movie. And, you know, I say that, I also, I feel like, um, I feel like I should know the names of the actors. I don't. The woman who played Beverly as an adult, the guy who played Bill, they both f- looked and sounded and felt like who I pictured when I read the book as well. Like mm-hmm. they were, they suited well with what I had in my imagination. Then we have Stanley, who sort of disappears in the chapter two version, you know, section of this because he dies by suicide very early on. Like he he can't handle the going back and having to have this fight over again. Although we see lots of flashbacks of him going back as a kid. He's just not there yeah. much as an adult. But we do see a little bit right at the beginning. What did you think about him? I mean, that, that's fine. It was appropriate to the character. Although, you know, it, it brings to mind kind of... Kind of an issue I felt with this whole movie that was not an issue with the first movie, which is in the first movie, they're all kids. And this watching kids go through these things that are kind of hyper realistic and cartoonish almost was fine. But now that they're adults seeing these same kind of things like Eddie being so wrapped up in his hypochondria and asthma and Richie being so jokey and just every everything being pushed over the top mm-hmm. like that just because they did it on purpose in order to make everything very distinct you know like mm-hmm. these are these people and you recognize them by these specific tags that are very noticeable 
but it was too cartoonish for me. It does make them um, a little one-sided, a lot yeah. one-sided. Yeah, they, they're substituting, you know, because it's not a full TV series, it's just this one movie, they're substituting this kind of uh, emotional hooks mm-hmm. in, in place of full development. Mm-hmm. Which was not an issue in the book because he, that's why the book right. was so long. He went into all this delving into their adult relationships before they left. You know, in the book, each one of them has this lengthy scene where they tell whoever is important to them in their adult life that they're going back to Derry. And each person is like, you've never even mentioned Derry. Like, you know, we kind of get to see more of who they are as a whole person rather than just, you know, that one thing they trauma that they carried forward. Yeah. You mentioned Eddie. What did you think of the Eddie in chapter two, the adult version of Eddie. I liked him. I really liked, I mean, it was interesting because in a way, I forget what I'm thinking of. It was interesting in a way because he is actually the funnier person than Richie, but Richie is the over the top in your face funny guy who's Uh cracking the jokes, but Eddie's actually funny. Uh You know what I mean? So, And Eddie plays a good, I don't know if straight, like yeah, straight like man a, is the right thing, but like he does, he foil pro- at least. Yes, he provides like a sounding board for Richie's jokes mm-hmm. to bounce off of just right. Like, yeah, and almost like he he's not just the sounding board, but he kind of angles the sounding board just right to make them <laughs> to bounce it back. Yeah, in, in just the right way. Like he kind of fine tunes the jokes a little bit with his responses to it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah broad comedy versus razor sharp uh-huh uh-huh but he he was he was a good character i liked him a lot and so it's like him and richie those are the those are my favorites i actually felt like he was maybe one of the better developed characters yeah. because he has this very strong hypochondriac streak like he's really there that is his tag like haha he's the one who has the asthma inhaler and is afraid mm-hmm. of everything and you know yeah. knows the dangers of everything they gave him a different job and i really liked it in the movie yeah. where in the book he's like a limo driver to the stars oh. and in the movie He's a statistics analyst, risk analysis. And that was the perfect job for him. That was way better than the, you know, limo driver thing. That's the uh, pigeonholing kind of thing. Right. Make it clear. But at the same time that he's this very afraid, controlled by what could happen to him person, he's also by far the most aggressive of all of them. And he's the one who kind of goes like loses it emotionally more often than anybody else, which was an interesting dichotomy. And it shows, you know, people can have these very strong elements that are almost diametrically opposed. I was going to say earlier that he's like a perfect match for kid Eddie. Yeah. It it looks like it's the same person grown up. Yeah. Although I had the same thought about um, Bill, the kid who played Bill and the adult who played Bill, like you could mm. see them, like yeah. they were well cast in terms of one growing up to yeah. become the other. So we've talked about those ones that we were either really happy with <laughs> or sort of happy with. And that leaves the two that we were disappointed in. Mike, the only black character in essentially the whole movie. <laughs> um, yeah, in Maine. The only black character in Maine. And the only one who stays in Derry. Which makes him into not really a character so much just kind of yeah 
a machine. Which I always felt that way about him in the book as well. Like he kind of, he's the last one to join the Losers Club. He has such an interesting backstory, but it's not really talked about enough. Yeah. Like it's not developed enough, yeah, unfortunately. he's the one who actually has ties to this history mm-hmm. and the previous outbreaks of it. Not just personal ties. Well, I mean, Bill has the personal tie too, but but he, you know, his parents die in um, a fire. Mm-hmm. And then he has the like cultural historical tie of this I forget what that bar was called in the book, like the spot or something yeah. like that. The spot where a fire was set in a jazz club and a bunch of African-Americans died. But yeah, he's he's very weak. They don't really focus on his story any more in the movie than they did in the book. And he's really just a, he's basically a book that you check out of the library to learn <laughs> yes. things. Yeah. Which was disappointing, but was similar to the book. Differing from the book is how Ben was handled. Yes, it's very disappointing. And Ben was one of my favorite characters in the writing of it and in the movie was so flat. Mm-hmm. There was just nothing to him. Yeah, he was just, I don't know, it felt like he did not belong in this movie. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-mm. And the the love triangle between Bill, Beverly, Ben, and, you know, kind of all of that was handled much better in the first movie, I think. It felt real. And then in this one, it felt very weak. Like there was this whole, oh, Beverly and Bill are still attracted to each other. And then all of a sudden at the end, Beverly and Ben are together. Like there was no, like there was no reason for that to change. And I think, I was thinking about that last night. They pulled out these side stories of Bill's wife and Beverly's husband. Bill's wife is in the movie for 30 seconds and that's it. Same with Beverly's husband. They're both like briefly in there and then they disappear. We never see them again. In the book, they both show up in Derry and play important parts in making everything happen at the end the way it happens. Especially Audra, who is like the center of the whole thing. Right. And she was the reason and why there she you know she was part of what made it make sense that Beverly shifted her attention over to Ben because Bill yeah. consciously decided I am not going to go down this path of this childhood romance that I you know have kind yeah. of built up in my head I am going to stick with this woman I chose to love as an adult and he doesn't there's none of that in the movie so then it's like well what so what happened nothing changes and then suddenly everything's different yeah it was weird okay so, what else? I think I just want to come out and say it well in advance of ratings so that we can discuss it. Okay. I think this was not nearly as good as the first movie. How about you? Are you are you keeping it secret till ratings? No, no, no secret. Um, I don't know that I feel quite as strongly. Like, I did enjoy watching the movie. I, I did too. It was almost three hours long, and I did not feel like I sat there for three hours watching the movie. Yeah, it was fun. And the same with the previous one. I did not feel like I had watched a an exceptionally long movie. It, it moved along. There were a few weaker spots or places where it slowed down a little bit. There was, you mentioned this when we were talking right afterwards, how many times are they going to, you know, hammer in the idea that, oh, there's one more <laughs> dangerous thing. There's one more yeah. more um, creature this monster could turn into to torment yeah, them. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, it, it's what I was talking about with an earlier movie. I forget which one. You know, if your plot is people are being tormented by a ghost, half the runtime of your movie is here's the ghost attacking them. Here it is again and again. <laughs> right. And same with the clown here. Oh, I think that was um, Autopsy of Jane Doe. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it, it's same similar feel. It was like, okay, we get it. Yeah. It it's tormenting them. It can take the shape of their fears, you know, blah, blah, blah. They have to not be afraid to defeat it. Like, okay, we got it. Well, you and, don't need to keep telling us. I mean, those were fun to watch. Like, I enjoyed it and I was you know, when they said you're gonna all go out individually to find your thing. I was like, okay, this will be fun. Let's go through each one of these mm-hmm. little jump scare scenes that's coming mm-hmm. up. And and they were fun, but But then I they did it all over again. <laughs> yes. It, in the sewer. Like it wasn't like, yeah. oh, each of these things happened and yeah, then we had to they, go uh, through it all over again. The whole ending confrontation, which is a huge chunk of the movie, was weird. It was like having an ending confrontation and then these little side adventures and then back to the ending mm-hmm. again. Very strange. Well, those were the times where they went off and they jumped into like little hallucinations where they yeah. let go of their traumas. You Which, know? of course, opens the whole door of what exactly is it capable of and why can't it just squish them like a bug? Because <laughs> it seems to be able to just change reality around them in a way that actually matters. It's not just an illusion, but... Somehow they're okay, which I guess is supposed to be the Freddy Krueger thing. Freddy Krueger slash The Matrix of they need to be strong. They need to believe mm-hmm. in themselves or they can be squished. Right. If you if you allow something else to create the reality around you, you could be affected by that. But you could also resist that mm-hmm. and create your own reality. All right. I, I'm on board with that. I like that. What I didn't like was how it was handled in this movie. <laughs> that's, yes, that's what I was thinking is the way I I enjoy that narrative, the just be strong, believe in yourself, and magically you're strong enough to win this thing, even though mm-hmm. you shouldn't be. That's, I mean, it's very tropey and blah, but it's it feels good. The magic was in you, not in the yes. ballet slippers. If the magic is inside you the whole time. Yeah. And that's fun. But in this movie, it was not done in a great way, and which is, in the first movie, it was. I liked what they did, other than beating the homeless man to death at the end, which was a little strange. But the way they handled it here was not as good. Yeah. Well, you know, even tying into that, you know, I didn't like the way the first one ended because as soon as they stopped believing that he could control them, then he basically just became a regular person and they beat him to death. I was like, ooh, (laughs) I'm not sure I'm on board with that message. Yeah. Same thing here. As soon as they start to take control and believe in themselves, what they do is they turn that into, we can defeat him if we bully him harder than he's bullying us. Right. And I'm like, that's not the message we should be taking away from this. Yeah, I feel like there is a way they could have done that because the whole movie kind of revolves around each of them confronting their own, not just fears, but issues. And if at the end they had been kind of like, all right, I'm strong now. I believe in myself. You can't hurt me. Right. And just not be vulnerable to him anymore. And then you like shrink away and go away or something. Right. But instead what they did is, I'm not going to let you hurt me. I'm going to hurt you first. Yeah. In order to make, you know, they they got on the idea of, well, there's more than one way to make him small. And the whole, the whole two movies, he had been making them small yeah. through his attacks. So they're like, oh, well, then the way to defeat him is to attack him. And basically, there's a huge scene where they're just shouting, you're a clown. You're terrible. You, We hate you. You're no good at dancing. Right. It was like, 
oh, this, I was very uncomfortable with that whole scene. I'm like, I don't feel good being on their side right now. And that's, you shouldn't have heroes (laughs) who immediately, you know, eventually become people you don't want to support. And that ties right into just before that, the big ritual in which they're (laughs) all chanting, Turn light into dark. Kill the light with darkness. I'm like, oh, wait, wait, what? Which side are you on? No, who are we worshiping here? (laughs) So that was just, and that was just a strange choice. It was because his power was the dead lights. So it was light. But there had to be something. How about life versus death or something? Right, right. (laughs) It was, yeah, it, it felt backwards and like the idea was right, but the way it was being presented, I'm like, oh no, this is much too easily misinterpreted. <laughs> like people are going to yeah. take this out of context and it's going to be ugly. I, it was just such a strange choice though. Like I couldn't see that getting past even like the studio would have been like, yeah, we don't like what you're doing here. <laughs> but apparently that was that was what they wanted to do. Yeah. And then, of course, the whole, like, they did shrink him down. He got small. He essentially was, <laughs> like, the equivalent of a, a little, little vulnerable baby clown. Yeah. And they tore his heart out and collectively squished yes, it. Yes, teamwork. Like, again, I'm like, I don't know There is a moment when they're squishing the heart where you can see, like, they're all squishing it. And there was something physical in their hands when they did this like and i think it was possibly meat because like they start just squishing it and then one of them like gouges their thumb into it to kind of really separate like you actually would if you were trying to squish and destroy something Ugh. and i'm like eesh that's pretty yeah. nasty yeah <laughs> i mean it's unsettling and maybe it's in a good way because they become the thing they have feared this whole time, sort of. Like, it's not that they're going to go out and become a bunch of serial killers, <laughs> murderers, whatever, but they do, for a brief moment, kind of descend into that same madness that they are fighting. And Yeah, but I wonder, do you think the movie thinks that? Okay, so I was thinking about this last night. I was writing about it, organizing my thoughts, and what I realized was this movie feels very different from the first one. It does. Um, The first one felt hopeful. It felt like we can defeat evil. This one feels like very, um, has a lot of despair and defeatism in it. Like they become evil in order to defeat evil. And, you know, without going too far into a whole lot of political discussion, Hmm. I wonder how much of the feel of the movie is because this movie has been made over the last two years where a lot of people are feeling that defeatism and that despair over how do we overcome things that feel like evil to us? And the previous movie was made when, yes, there are bad things in the world, but we feel hopeful about the ability to to defeat them. And I know personally, I don't feel a lot of hope in defeating evil at this moment. And I know that that comes through in my artwork and, you know, like the writing that I do. So I'm wondering if perhaps what we're feeling from this movie was not intentional, but is like a bleeding through of the creative people who went into making this movie. That That's a very possible scenario. There is something though, you know, I, I feel like it's, there's just a fundamental difference to making a movie about kids fighting a monster versus adults that yeah. 
it just felt so much better with the kids doing it. Even when they're beating this guy to death, it's like they're kids. They're like they're yelling at him in a way like, you know, when kids yell back at somebody who's trying to hurt them, it's you can feel that they're welling up with strength right. in a position where they would normally have no power. And right. they're like, I'm trying this really hard. And then when it's adults, it's like, yeah, they're just bullies. It's the difference of, you know, where that power imbalance is and it's, you know, punching up or punching down. And when you have kids as your heroes, it's very easy to see them as punching up because kids don't have a lot of power. Um, One of the notes that I made to myself was their their mission was a very noble mission, too, in the first story. Like, Mm -hmm. these kids were were trying to defeat this monster so that he couldn't hurt anyone else. They were willing to sacrifice themselves to protect all the other kids in the world, essentially. And as the adults, I didn't feel that same sense of they were doing it to protect everyone else. It sort of felt like they were like, okay, you have messed with me <laughs> so long that now I have to defeat you because I you can't hurt me anymore. Well, Which is still an important thing, sure. but is much less noble. And there was a whole part in the second movie where, you know, these people show up they start to remember what's going on and they're like, oh no, this yeah. is terrible. I'm leaving. And then they find out from Beverly that they will all die if they don't go. So and really, they, and they finally decide to stay because yeah. they are again saving themselves. They're literally there just to save their own lives. Yeah. Except Bill, who's wants to save one specific kid. He totally fails at. But even he didn't know that at the beginning. No, he definitely yeah. didn't. Yeah, it just it didn't feel as noble. And you know, I guess Again, it's is that a byproduct of the environment in which this movie was made? I mean, I know the story itself was written a long time ago, but even that I was thinking, oh, okay, well, so he wrote this in the late 80s. I grew up in the late 80s. I remember there was a lot of political upheaval happening at that time, too. I remember my parents, who are very progressive thinkers, being very you know, having fear around things like, you know, the whole Star Wars concept and a lot of what Ronald Reagan was doing. So it was sort of, it sort of had that same idea. And then Stephen King grew up in the 50s and the 60s around the same, you know, there was, again, a lot of political upheaval and despair and, you know, Cold War and, well, no, that was the 80s, but like Vietnam and, you know. Yeah. I mean, it turns out the world is always on fire. Well, or is it every 27 years? Ooh. <laughs> no, it's not 20. 27 is not quite the right number. But I feel like like I'm sort of seeing like, oh, there's a little bit of a cyclical nature to this. Yeah. Um, which is a little frustrating. Sure is. Yeah. Well, I've got another fun IMDb fact. Oh, yes. Um, you know how kids grow up very quickly? Mm. This movie is two years newer than the last one, which means those kids were two years older, and they were like young teens. So obviously, they're going to change a lot. They had to de-age the kids electronically, you know, CGI de-aging on the kids. Really? Okay, so I had that thought when I was, when I was watching it, because the kid who plays Richie is in Stranger Things. Yeah, and he looks a lot different. Right. One of the things we noticed as we were watching the most recent Stranger Things season was like, oh, these kids changed (laughs) completely in the course of like a year. Yeah. And I actually wondered if they had recorded all of the kid scenes at the same time. Me too. When they first did the first movie. Because otherwise, how do they all look the same two years later? 
Clearly it's CGI magic. You've got to use magic. That's fascinating. I've already spoiled this a little by saying that it's not as good as the first, so mm-hmm. you can take it down from the five that I gave the first movie. But it's definitely an enjoyable film. As a horror movie, there's not a lot of horror movie there. It definitely, I mean, I've said this about other movies where, you know, they're really more adventure or fantasy or something. But in this case, it actually really does include a lot of horror stuff. Like there are scenes that are very much as scary as anything out there and full of a lot of intent to scare you. But the structure of the whole movie is not a horror narrative. It's this big adventure quest fantasy thing Mm -hmm. brings in all kinds of mythology and what does it all mean? That's okay. I like that kind of movie, but you know, it doesn't really fit horror very well, which is, you know, it's a weird combination because they, they really did punch up the horror plenty. So let's say that as a result, I'm going to give this four clown spiders out of five. Okay. It's good. It's fun. And I wouldn't watch it by itself. We, in fact, watched the first movie just before watching this so that we were all set. And Mm -hmm. I'm glad we did. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, it is way better. It's like so good. The first one. Yeah. The first it is quite good. And this one is fun. It's a fun movie, and it's very well made. Okay, so you give it a four. I gave the first one a four. Yeah, I don't know about that. And I went back and read the reviews that we did to see, like, okay, why did I give it a four? Mm -hmm. And I don't even really have a good sense for why. I just, I don't know. That's where I was that day. And I feel like I'm going to give this one a four as well. I think I liked this one more than you did. Hmm. But I don't feel like I disliked it a whole lot more than I liked the other one. Like, I feel like they're they're sort of equivalent for me. I guess maybe I could give it like a four minus if we did things <laughs> like that. But and the other one would have been a four plus. Like, yes, it's a little bit less than the first one, but not by a lot for me. And I really I did enjoy watching it. I could see myself at some point in the future watching both of them again as a whole thing. Like I tend to go back to Stephen King stories. They're kind of my comfort zone or it's comfort area because I'm familiar with them. And this, maybe that's what it is. This movie stayed very true to the things I liked best about the book. And so it, you know, it provided that sense of this is familiar, this is comfortable, which feels weird to say about a horror movie, (laughs) but it's true. So yeah, I think I'm going to give it a four. I I can't give it a five because there were some stilted things about it that I think could have been modernized a little bit since they were making changes. They could have done some modernization in some areas that that they chose not to. And they could have done better with some of the characters. Of course, I realize that in in asking for that, I'm also asking them to basically make it another three hours long. So, <laughs> you know, there there are limitations, well, and I get that. But at the same time, I'm thinking of a lot they could have cut out of this. Like, we didn't need to repeatedly go through all these little scares. And what's funny is the parts, like the like you're saying, I agree. The things that I would cut out are the horror elements. <laughs> exactly. But. <laughs> Those are the horror pieces that I tend to find less horrifying. Like, yeah. I'm I will jump if a giant clown leaps at me out of a wall, <laughs> but I'm not really afraid of it. Whereas the idea of being tormented for 30 years about the death of your 
little brother because you on one day pretended to be sick and sent him out to play alone and he died. Like that to me has a much more visceral horror feeling than there's an evil clown. Although we have not mentioned, I think Bill Skarsgård is amazing. And the things that he can do with his face and his (laughs) eyes and everything to be scary is he's phenomenal. So nothing to take away from how scary he made that character. But I just, I don't believe in killer clowns that live in the sewers. Whereas I do believe (laughs) in the guilt you carry when you make a mistake or you feel like you've made a mistake that affected somebody else. That's one thing that bothered me a little bit about this, both of these movies was how Pennywise focused they were when in reality it used Pennywise a bit. I mean, mm-hmm. enough that he was connected to being Pennywise, but mm-hmm. most of the time it was some other monster. And the monster didn't like chase you and then turn into a clown and go, ha ha, almost got you. Right. I think that is a side effect of the fact that the cover of the book had a clown on it. <laughs> right. Like, like people who haven't read that book think it's about a clown that kills people. Yeah. And it's not. It's about a an alien. It's actually yeah, an, it alien an alien story that takes the shape of whatever you're afraid of. And one of the kids, and you know, I think a lot of kids, especially that character, um, the clown element of it comes in like from some story from the eighteen hundreds or something, right? Like no, maybe remember. not that far back. But the, there's a in the book it explains where the clown comes from. Like it's right. it's the fear of one of the victims at some point, and somehow people kind of latched onto that one. I think because it's easy, it's an easier sell than yeah other you know some of the other elements. The cosmic horror. That w- would be really interesting actually to see this giving kind of a Lovecraftian take where it's just more vague and disturbing and just who knows what's going on mm. kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But it's been done. We're, we're done with this book now as <laughs> movies, I think. You think? I mean, for now. Yeah. I feel like the movie has is a more satisfactory telling of this story than the miniseries was. I definitely think so. Um, so it's possible that people will be satisfied. Like, yes, this movie has done this book justice. I certainly feel more like this movie has done this book justice. Yeah. And so maybe we'll move on from it in that sense. But, you know, we tend to culturally like to go back and recycle our old things, you know, nostalgia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort of like we're. I'm waiting for the, the new The Stand movie to come out because I'm hoping that it will do a better job of doing that book justice than the miniseries did for that. Yeah. As much as Same I love system. that miniseries, I'm still like, ooh, <laughs> this could have been better. Yeah, for sure. So to wrap it all up, at any rate, I am giving this one a four out of five clown spiders. And right. we will see you tomorrow. Yes, we will. I agree. <laughs> I'm not allowed to have any emotion at the end anymore. Because I get so excited about flippities and floppities and everything. And you All don't right. like it. When when are you going to see us, Mikey? Tomorrow. On the flippity floppity.
Oh, you're so strange.